Go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 15. As you're turning to Acts chapter 15, I want to share a verse with you that I believe everyone knows well. I pray that you not only know this verse well, but I pray that you exercise this verse. I saw an article this week and it said, you know what, we got to move from being people who highlight our Bible to being people who live out our Bible. I don't know about you, but I, I do, I highlight, I make notes all the time. But that don't, that don't do anything if I don't exercise the scripture that I'm reading. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 7 says, cast all of your cares on him because he cares for you. Some versions say, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Some versions say, cast all your worries on him because he cares for you. I, I, I don't know what kind of cares you have right now. I don't know what kind of anxiety you have right now. I don't know what kind of worries or weight or burden. You, you put the word in the blank. I don't know what you got in front of you right now or what's sitting in your lap right now, but don't let it get in the way of hearing God today. Don't let it get in the way of being in the presence of God today. Your mind can be so focused on those cares and those worries and those anxieties. You know what? Your mind can even be focused on some good things. But if it gets in the way of Jesus, I'm going to tell you, that's not good. And so the Bible says we can do something about those things. We can give them to God because he cares for us. So, so I want to pray real quick. I want to pray real quick before we dig into God's Word because I want to make sure we're focused on God's Word today and nothing else and no one else. Focused on what God says to you and to me as His children, as a father who cares. Let's pray. God, right now, I pray for myself. I pray for anyone and everyone in this building. I pray for anyone uh, who may hear my voice. God, I know all of us, we're carrying something. God, we have the weight of something on our shoulders, in our laps, in our hearts. Something is weighing us down. And God, it could be cares, it could be worries, it could be anxiety, it could be failure, it could be fears. God, it could be fun. But if it's in the way of seeing Jesus today and hearing Jesus today, then it's a problem, God. And we need to lay it down. We need to give it to you. Your word says you'll take it because you care for us. So God, right now, in my own heart and life, and anyone else who's praying with me right now, God, we cast our cares on you. And we claim the promise of your word that you care for us. So open our ears, open our hearts, open our minds so that we can see you today so that we can hear you today, so that we can be in your presence today with no distraction. And it's in Jesus' almighty name I pray. Amen. In Acts chapter 14, that's where we were last week. In Acts chapter 14, I threw a word at you that you might not like. I threw a word at you that's hard. It's called perseverance. In Acts chapter 14, we saw the believers... The, the early church having to persevere through, through troubles, through challenges, through opposition. And, and listen, when we preach the gospel, when we teach the gospel, here, here's the truth. Some people are going to hear the gospel and receive it. They're going to embrace it. Some people are going to 
hear the gospel and turn away from it. They're going to reject it. And some people are going to fight against it. Some people don't want to hear the name Jesus. They don't want to see Jesus. They, they think Jesus is dead and gone and it's over for him. And so when it comes to God's word and when it comes to salvation, they don't want nothing to do with Jesus. And so what I want you to see today is that as Christ followers, as long as we continue to make much of the name of Jesus, the person, the life and the work of Jesus, we're going to face opposition in this world. We're going to face challenges in this world. And I know sometimes when I think about opposition and when I think about challenge, I think about out there, right? That's what I think. I think about out there. I think about unbelievers. I think about people who don't know Jesus. But let me just tell you something. Sometimes the opposition and sometimes the challenge we face will come from within. Sometimes it comes from within. As a matter of fact, as we see uh, in the early church, and we see in Paul's letters, many times the opposition and the challenge we face, it comes from within. And I believe that's what we see in Acts chapter 15. So we come out of this chapter that's all about persevering, right? Keep on keeping on. Don't give up. Don't ever give up, no matter the challenge. And now we see Paul and Barnabas, right? They've just completed their first missionary journey. What do we know about it? We know that many people got saved, right? Lots of Jews and lots of Gentiles were saved. And right there at the end of chapter 14, the church is celebrating. They're celebrating God's goodness. They're celebrating what God has done to and through His apostles and His preachers and teachers. And then we come into Acts chapter 15, right? So we got perseverance. And then we got some celebration and then boom, right? Come right back into the church and guess what we see? Opposition and challenge. That's what we see. So I want to show you in Acts chapter 15, the first five verses, the opposition and the challenge. Look at verse 1. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers. Listen to what they were teaching the believers Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Understand, that's, that's what's being taught inside the church wall. This is not something out there. This statement was made within the church. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses... You cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and the elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church. So look at this now. We're not talking about hostility here, right? They were welcomed by the church, that's what it says, and the apostles and the elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of Pharisees stood up and said, and here it is, out loud in the church, 
the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. So the opposition is very clear. We see it right here in verse 4 and 5. The opposition was the party of Pharisees. And the challenge that was made was one of legalism. I want you to see this very clear, okay? So many salvation experiences have happened. The missionary journey, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And understand, if you want to go back and look, that's what was preached. Go back and look at it. It was Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone that was preached. Nothing and no one else. And salvation came to the Jews and the Gentiles. The church was celebrating the grace of God. As a matter of fact, you'll see that in Acts chapter 13. In Acts chapter 14, it was the grace of God that made salvation possible. And they preached this, they taught this, they celebrated it. And then they get back in the church and the opposition was the Pharisees, the party of Pharisees, and the challenge was legalism. Well, we hear what you're saying, but. We hear what you're saying, but. So understand this, the Pharisees were known as believers because they were a part of the church in Jerusalem. They belonged to the church Legalism, and I I love uh, Zondervan, I love how Zondervan's reference handbook describes it. Listen to this, legalism is seeking God's favor. Listen to that again. Seeking God's favor, how? By keeping the letter of the law, however, not keeping its spirit. Legalists in the church required circumcision for salvation. So let me tell you what this party of Pharisees was preaching and teaching. Jesus is okay, but. Jesus is good, but. You got to have this to be saved. That's what they were teaching. That's legalism, right? And so these legalists in the church, they believed that salvation depended upon the law of Moses. That one had to fully embrace the law of Moses in order to be saved by God and in order to be received by the church. Now, there were some uh, who only believed in the law for salvation. And then there were others, much like this party of Pharisees um, in in the church of Jerusalem. And a lot of people called them, um, they, they called them Judaizers. Okay, that's what they were called, Judaizers. It's Jesus plus something. Jesus plus something like the law, circumcision, food rights, things like that. Some of them believed it was simply the law. Some of them believed, oh yeah, Jesus plus this. And let me tell you what legalists did in the church. Legalists, they practiced ritualism. Ritualistic traditions and customs and laws. They practiced circumcision. They practiced food laws and so much more. And we see that that is the challenge. As a matter of fact, if you look at it again, verse 5 says it very clearly. The Gentiles, what's the next word? Must. That, that, That means there ain't no discussion on their part. If they are truly saved and they want to be a part of this church, they must. In other words, their salvation and their membership, their fellowship depends upon this. That's what they're saying. The Gentiles must be circumcised, must be required to keep the law of Moses. 
Now, I don't know about you, but one of my favorite writers is, uh, is Pastor Max Licata. Uh, I don't know about you, but I just love his voice, too. Like, he's got this soft, peace. I, sometimes I wish I had that soft, peaceful voice, right? But, you know, God gave me that coach's voice, and so I'm not going to covet his voice, even though maybe you wish I spoke with his voice, but, you know, you're not going to covet his voice either. But I love Max Licato, and he's written so many good books. And when it comes to God's grace, and when it comes to salvation, he's made one statement that I've got it written in my Bible, I've got it written on a post-it note by my desk, I've got it typed into my phone. Listen to what Max Licato, he wrote this in his book called Upwords. He says, legalism makes my opinion your burden. Makes my opinion your boundary. And makes my opinion your obligation. That's pretty good. Legalism, right? It, It makes what I think and what I practice, my opinion, it makes it your burden. It makes it your boundary. It makes it your obligation. And so that's what, that's what Paul and Barnabas, that's what the church at Antioch received from the church of Jerusalem. That's what they received. That's the message that they received. Now, I want to show you the response because this is, this is pretty good. Because up to this point, what have Peter and Paul and Barnabas been preaching? Who have they been preaching? Jesus. Anything else? Nope. Only Jesus. That's what they've been preaching. So listen to their response. Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 6, the apostles and elders met to consider the question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice. Do you see that? God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel. Do you see that? The message of the gospel Does he say anything about the law of Moses right there? Nope. Does he say anything about customs and traditions? Nope. The gospel. He says, brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. Look at verse 9. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by what? By what? Are you sure your Bible doesn't say by the law? What does it say? It says faith? Because I'm confused. It doesn't say the law? Because that's what the party of the Pharisees are saying. Oh, if you want to be right with God, you must be circumcised. You must, you must be required to keep the law of Moses. We, we, got, a difference, we got a difference of opinion here, right? But do you notice what Peter said? Peter said, what did God say? What did God say to me? A Jew. He told me to go where? To the Gentiles. And God told me to preach... What did Peter say? The gospel. Period. (laughs) Nothing else. And so these party of Pharisees are throwing legalism out there. Legalism. Do this. Do that. You got to do this. You got to do that. And Peter's saying, let me tell you what God said. 
Let me tell you what God said. Let me tell you what God did. So it says in verse 9, He did not discriminate between us and them, for He purified their hearts by faith. Now then, look at, oh man, don't you love how Peter's going to turn this question around? Right? They're questioning them, but now Peter says, let me question you. Verse 10, now then, why do you try to test who? God. Why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No. And here's Peter's answer, and here's the church at Antioch's answer. No. We believe it is through what? Grace. It is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Oh, man, what a profound statement. And I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that, that Peter, think about this. Peter, the one who failed once, failed twice, failed three times. The one who failed Jesus Christ was loved by Jesus Christ and pulled back in and said, you're going to be the one to feed my sheep. You're going to be the one to preach the gospel. Aren't you glad we see Peter now not hiding, not running, but we see Peter standing up. And let me just tell you something. He ain't standing on his own platform. He is standing on the Word of God. He is standing on the voice of God. Peter declared that it was God's choice. Do you see that? Because if you'll remember... When God was telling Peter what to do, do you remember what Peter said? (laughs) I don't touch unclean food. And God said, this ain't about food. This is about a people that you believe is unclean. You're going to go to them, and you're going to offer them the gospel. So Peter declared that it was God's choice to receive the Gentiles. And they were saved by, what did he say? Grace. God's grace, nothing else. Peter, he told them about his evangelistic experience. It was a call of God. He told them about the purifying of hearts and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That was the work of God. So Peter, what's he doing? He's relying on the Word of God, and he's relying on what? The work of God. Do you see that? He's not relying on himself. He's not relying on anything he did. It's what God said and it's what God did. And he reminded them of their own failed attempts. Their own failed attempts, right? To bear the yoke of the law. Now, didn't Jesus already tell his disciples about the weight of the law? You can just go ahead and say yes. Go ahead and say yes. Okay, don't take my word for it. In Matthew chapter 11, do you know what Jesus said? He said, This is an unbearable yoke. That's what he said in Matthew chapter 11. In Matthew chapter 23, he said this is a heavy yoke. That's what Jesus said. He was referring to the law. And I'm going to tell you something. If obedience to the law could not secure salvation for the Jews, how in the world is it going to secure salvation for the Gentiles? That's what Peter said. That's the question he asked. You have failed. He's saying, hey... Pharisees, hey church, hey fellow Jews, you and I have failed over and over again to keep this law. And it's not just one law, we have to keep it all. (laughs) And we have failed. Our ancestors failed. 
If we couldn't secure salvation with the law, why would we ever require the Gentiles to join us in that failure? Why would we do that? I love Pastor Tony Maruda. He's another one of my favorite preachers that I love to hear preach. And boy, this is good. A lot of times I wish I could come up with this and tell you, hey, that was me, but this ain't me, okay? But I like it so much, I got to share it with you. Listen to what Pastor Tony Maruda says when it comes to grace. He says, gospel math works like this. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Wow, that's pretty good, isn't it? Jesus plus nothing equals everything. The work of Jesus is totally sufficient. Let me tell you the difference between the gospel math and the pharisaical math. Pharisaical math says Jesus plus this equals salvation. Jesus plus this equals everything. But gospel math says Jesus, period. (laughs) Jesus plus nothing. Nothing equals everything. Now, I know what it could sound like, and and I want to make sure that we all understand this. Nowhere in this passage, and really nowhere in the Bible, uh, should we believe that the law is no good, that it's bad. Please don't misread this text or misunderstand Peter's words to the apostles and the elders. He wasn't telling them that the laws did not matter. That's not what he was saying. What he was telling them is that the laws could not save the Jews nor the Gentiles. It was only God's grace through Jesus Christ who could save. That's what he was saying. So don't walk out of here and say, oh, well, God's laws are no longer any good. God's laws are bad. God's laws, la, la, la. No, 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 no. That's not what's happening here. This was about salvation. Let me tell you, if God gave the law, you know what the, you know what the law is? It's good. Because that's all God's capable of. Good. That's it. Right. Light. Life. So if God gave the law, the law is good. But God didn't give the law to save you and save me. God gave the law all those years ago. God gave the law as a guardian. As a guardian until Jesus Christ would put on flesh and live the perfect life, die the sacrificial death, and raise up out of the grave with victory in his hands. So the council meets. And I I love this. The council meets after... After they talk, and they come up with a decision. And I'm going to tell you, for me, Acts chapter 15, it's one of the most important chapters in the early church's history. Because this is the decision. And this is the message that will be put out to the churches and to the world. Look at verses 24 through 29. I'm not going to try to read the whole passage, but I do want to read what they wrote. And they sent Silas and... Judas out to the churches to back up what they wrote, but here's what they wrote. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So these people that went to the church and said, uh, that's all good and all, but you got to be circumcised to be saved. you got to keep the law of Moses to be saved. Now the council says, hey, listen, they went and said that without our authorization. They went and said that on their own. And we realize that it has disturbed you. It has troubled your minds. And so here it is, verse 25. So we all agreed 
to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. And oh boy, verses 28 and 29. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. Now, what I didn't read is that James, the half-brother of Jesus, who is in the church at Jerusalem, uh, he actually, before this was written, quoted the book of Amos. Oh, yeah. What did Peter do? He stood on what? The word and the works of God. Well, guess what James did? The preacher in the church of Jerusalem, he stood on the word of God. He actually quoted Amos in verses 16 through 18. Now, I didn't read it to you, but I'll tell you what he did. He pointed them to the scriptures and verified that it was God who said through the prophet Amos, before any of them were ever alive, that the Gentiles would be saved. Oh, yeah. James says, oh, and let me remind you what God said before any of us were born. He was going to save the Gentiles. So James says what's happening is God-ordained. And so what did the council do? What What was their bold proclamation to the churches and to the world? And here it is. The council recognized that legalism denied God's grace. That's what legalism did. It denied God's grace, which is available to all mankind for salvation. What they said in that moment was, Jesus saves nothing and no one else. Jesus saves. Jesus alone. Now, the council agreed that the Gentiles, nor anyone else, could be saved by the law, but they did agree that the law was good and should be followed to each his own. In other words, the Jews said, hey, we're still going to we're still going to abide by these laws because they're good, but we're not abiding by these laws so that we can earn salvation. We're abiding by these laws because God gave them to us. And listen, they could do that. And what they said to the Gentiles was, hey, it's probably a good idea that, that, that you pay attention to these laws. They're good. And you know what that did? That brought them into fellowship. They respected one another. And I'm going to tell you, that's huge. If you don't know how huge that is, go back and look at the Jews and the Samaritans and their relationship. But God was bringing them into fellowship. Again, Pastor Tony Merida, he says this. He says they emphasized, this is what the council at the Church of Jerusalem did. They emphasized a spirit-directed, unanimous decision not to burden the Gentiles with anything but to request that they abstain from four particular matters out of the respect of the Jewish scruples. The fellowship matter, right? The fellowship matter were not conditions for salvation. And so let me just tell you, when it comes to the gospel, and and I'm going to tell you this too, I'm kind of sad about it, but Acts chapter 15 is pretty much the last time we hear of old Peter. From this point on, it's going to be Paul and Barnabas and John Mark and these other apostles, these other teachers. Uh, This is going to be the last we hear uh, of Peter. But I'm thankful that the last we hear of Peter is all about Jesus. Amen? 
The last thing we hear about him, he's focused on Jesus. He's focused on God's grace and nothing else. Let me tell you why. It's because Jesus did what the law was never intended nor could it do, and that is save mankind from sin. Jesus did what only Jesus could do. He lived perfectly. He died sacrificially. He died in place of you and me, and he rose from the grave, defeating sin and death once and for all. Not just the Jews, but for the Gentiles. Not, for, not just for those people who lived thousands of years ago, but for you and me who are living today. And for those who might live tomorrow and the next week and the next month and the next year. Jesus lived perfectly, died sacrificially, and rose with victory. Paul told us in Galatians, and I, I, I love this, but I just believe when Paul wrote these letters, he wrote these letters out of the experiences God was giving him on his missionary journey, journeys. And so the book of Galatians, many theologians believe that the letter uh, to the church at, at Galatia, the Galatians, right, they believe this would have been one of the first letters that Paul penned, that he wrote. Listen to what Paul said in Galatians chapter 3. He says, The law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by our faith. By our what? Faith. In other words, we do have a part to play. And you know what it is? Believe. Listen, salvation, it only comes to you and me by God's grace. If he doesn't offer it, it don't matter what we say or do. It ain't happening. But God has offered it. It's grace. But we're saved by God's grace through faith. In other words, we choose to repent of our sin and believe that Jesus Christ is God's Son, His only Son, that Jesus Christ never sinned, but bore the weight of all of our sin on the cross. He died. He took His last breath. He bled. He was put in a tomb, but He came out of that tomb alive, and He's still alive today and will always be alive. And so we're saved by grace, right? We're saved by grace through faith. Not law and not tradition. Listen to me. I'm not right with God because my mom and daddy are right with God. I'm not right with God because I got this title pastor or brother in front of my name. I'm not right with God today because I'm standing behind a pulpit with a Bible in front of me. Because I'm going to tell you, I believe there's some lost ones up there. Just like there's some lost deacons and some lost teachers. And there's some lost longtime church members. Because they put it in their efforts and their works and said, oh, I've been doing this, so God, he's, I'm good. It ain't got nothing to do with you. Your work or your efforts or how long you have served or how much money you've given or if you've got a plaque on a wall with your name on it. Who cares? Because that thing's going to burn up one day. But my salvation is in God's hands because he worked it and I received it. That's all I did was say Yes. <laughs> I said yes to Jesus. That's what I did. It's not a paycheck that you work hard for. It's not a bonus that you work extra effort for. Grace is an unearned. Do you hear me? Grace is an unearned gift from God. You know what grace is? You've heard it and I'm going to say it. It is God's unmerited gift. Favor 
on you and on me. You know what that, you know what that big word unmerited means? It means I didn't do nothing. I didn't run fast enough. I didn't come in first enough. My checks didn't make it. Unmerited means ain't got nothing to do with me. It's all him. I wonder today how many people are exhausted. I wonder today how many people are worn out. I wonder how many people today are frustrated. I wonder how many people today are just suffering in ministry. And it's all because you believe that your work and your effort is what makes you right with God. I'm here to tell you today, standing on the Word of God, you're wrong. You're wrong. And if you've been taught that, you've been taught wrong. And I'm not ashamed to say that to you. You're not right with God because you're dressed nice or because you did some good deeds this week or because your mom and daddy took you up in the water and put you in it and put you up, pulled you up out of it. You're not right with God because of any of that. Let me just tell you something. If you're right with God, it's because you chose to repent of your own sin and you put your faith and trust in the one who is God's vessel of love and grace and mercy and his name is Jesus. And you've trusted in the completed work of Jesus Christ so that you could be right with God. Now I'm going to tell you, it don't mean you're not going to get frustrated at times. It don't mean you're not going to get wore out at times. But I'm going to tell you, when it comes to my salvation... I'm never frustrated with that. I'm never wore out with that. You know what I am? I'm thankful to God that I'm going to spend eternity with Him. I'm thankful to God for what He has done through Jesus Christ and what He continues to do through the Holy Spirit of God in my life. Paul said in Romans chapter 8, what the law was powerless to do, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, to be a sin offering. In order that the righteous requirement of the law, did you hear that? The righteous requirement of the law. Listen to me. The law ain't bad. The law's good. But guess who had to complete it? Say it again. You said it. Say it loud. Listen to me. When I ask you to say Jesus' name, don't whisper his name. Okay? There's some stuff I want to whisper and there's some stuff that I don't want to say in front of you. But I ain't got no problem saying Jesus out loud where everybody can hear it. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. You shouldn't be either. So listen to it. What the law was powerless to do, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit who is in us. Oh, man. Thank God for Jesus. Amen? Amen. Thank God for grace. Amen? And I'm going to tell you one more time before I leave this place. God's grace is what saves you through faith in Jesus Christ. Nothing else. Nothing else. Man, do I want you to be in this seat every Sunday? Sure, I do. But that's not a requirement for your salvation. Do I want you to tithe so that the church can continue to minister and do ministry in this this world? Absolutely I do. But your tithe is not a requirement of your salvation. You know what good works and good deeds are? Good works and good deeds, they are proof. Evidence. Evidence. 
of what God has done to you and through you by grace through faith. Please don't ever get those mixed up or out of order. And if you're confused by that, I would love to talk to you more. I would love to point you to Scripture. But I'm telling you, you can open up your Bible and you can see it. Read that book of Acts that I just read, Acts chapter 15. Go to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 8. I just read it. You'll see that it is grace that saves nothing else. Jesus plus nothing equals what? Everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. So rest in Jesus. Rest in Jesus.